Welcome to Still Scared Talking Children's Horror, a podcast about creepy, spooky and disturbing children's books, films and TV. I'm Ren Wednesday, my co-host is Adam Wybray, and today we're talking about the 1863 novel The Water Babies by Charles Kingsley. A full transcript of this episode will be available, so check the show notes for that. Enjoy! Good evening, Adam. Aye, cockaloran. <laughs> yes, indeed. Um, ah. <laughs> <laughs> it's felt like I need to start this with a sigh. Yeah, get get all the sighs out early. <laughs> get, get out of your system. Mm. The, the one thing I will say for this is that it was free. <laughs> well, well... It's best when suffering comes free. <laughs> yeah. Um, I'm glad I didn't pay any money to read this book. Um, this book being The Water Babies. <laughs> being The Water Babies. Or The Water Babies, A Fairy Tale for a Land Baby by Charles it, Kinsley. Yeah. From all the way back in 1863. Um, so older than we've uh, than we've done by a good 50 years yeah uh, so we we're sort of trekking back to the i guess really the origins of children's literature um mm. in as much as i guess there were instructional works for children uh, or works for adults rewritten for children so mm. um obviously stories from the bible or uh, stories from shakespeare um, by charles and mary lamb mm. Um, but this kind of interestingly bridges the gap, I guess, between uh, a sermon for children and what we would now <laughs> consider children's literature. Yeah. I think most kids today would be fairly unimpressed. Uh, y- yes. If, 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 if you, you... I mean, my mum, <laughs> the reason I know of The Water Babies is my mum was read it as a child. Okay, my yeah. grandma, my grandma, I think, attempted to read some of it to me as a child. Um, I think I was quite <laughs> resistant. Um, yeah. <laughs> but my my mum said, you know, it really horrified her as a child, and um, I imagine it, so. Yeah, it has a sort of special spot of uh, suppressed <laughs> horror for her, as <laughs> she really dislikes the water babies. Um, <laughs> so yeah, that's that's partly, I guess, um, why. Yeah, but it, it was it was popular well into the twentieth century. Um, Oh god, poor kids! Yeah. Not only did they have to go up chimneys when they came out of the chimneys, they had to be lectured about how going up a chimney was probably a sign of their sinfulness. <laughs> uh, yeah. yeah. It reminds me very much. I remember in primary school we did a Victorian day. Did you ever have to do one of those? No, we didn't. Um, that was always a bit 
sad I never got to do one. <sighs> oh, God, I no, no. I mean, <laughs> it, it, it was basically just a means by which teachers could, uh, you know, be be more awful to the kids than they'd normally be allowed to get away with, frankly, <laughs> under the guise of it being Victorian. Um, mm. Like... I, I, I mean, so I remember that I, I was told that I was going to be uh, caned because of um, <laughs> how how badly I did on the, on the mathematics problems, and uh-huh. yeah, I, and so I was quite, you know, I, I was you know very sincere and earnest and thought, oh dear, I, I'm going to get caned then, and um, I, I spoke to my my best friend Stuart at the time, who, as I might have told you before. Um, Nobody once tied me to a chair with a skipping rope and left me in the uh, the toys storage beach hut um, all through lunchtime. Oh. Uh, well, <laughs> when when any children went into the beach hut and sort of said, "Oh, are you okay, Adam?" Um, I sort of said, "Oh, yes, yes, yes," uh, and you know, uh, <laughs> <laughs> sat there. <laughs> oh. um, but he he insisted that actually, yes, I I was going to be caned that, um, mm. and I should go to the head teacher of the school and ask about my caning and so I did I went I went back into the school on my lunch break and found the teacher and said oh miss is it is it time for me to be caned <laughs> uh, I, I didn't have to wear the dunce cap though um mm. which Daniel did I remember you had to sit in the corner um but, but, the, but the other thing that really sticks in my mind and um was certainly uh, not a very good thing for a child of OCD to be singing, was this hymn we had to sing, uh, which went, Cleanliness is next to godliness, to godliness, to godliness. Cleanliness is next to godliness. It doesn't cost anything to be clean. Yeah. Uh, which, um, if it came which, from the water babies, I wouldn't have been surprised. No, no, that's um, that's quite a, a summation of the plot. Really. <laughs> <laughs> uh, there we go, um, done. We, we've done it. Yeah. So I was reading this um, sort of little article in the Guardian about about the novel. Um, she was a sort of a vicar sort of defending it uh, to a certain extent, saying, Oh, you know, Charles Kingsley, he did, you know, he did do a lot for the, for the rights of children, you know, bringing all the, the plight of chimney sweeps to the attention of the parliament and things. But um, even he described it as being close to unreadable. <laughs> <laughs> so. uh, which I think is fair. So what, what would you say, having just read it, um, makes it close to unreadable okay well so i find it's the tone extremely annoying um <laughs> for one thing so it, it's written in like as if it's being told to a small boy um and it's got this kind of irritating ironic lecturing tone um and then it also has these very long, rambling, satiric digressions that have kind of their what they're satirising is kind of 
been lost to time. So it's just these sort of quite odd, heavy-handed digressions um, sprinkling the text. Um, um, And it's odd because the same could be said for Alice's Adventures in Wonderland, but that remains eminently readable, right? Yes, yes. Um, It's also, I mean, it's very racist. That's true, yes. Um, Which I think is is the main reason why it fell uh, fell out of favour. I don't know. I mean, one of the one of the main reasons. It was written um, partly in support of Darwin's Origin of Species, um, yeah, and obviously, in this mid to late Victorian period, the Origin of Species was used a great deal to prop up racist narratives. Yeah, I don't know if that had was quite happening yet. No, maybe uh, not. Quite. I mean, I guess it was still at the point but that Darwin that was maybe, disputed yeah. and there were lots of difference of evolutionary theories. Yeah. Um, yeah. Uh, so, yeah, he has... I sort of have a, I'm reading the Wikipedia article and it's like... Um, people have pointed out there's a bigotry towards... The Irish, Jews, Americans, the poor, <laughs> like, just, um, it's, uh, he's got a lot of, he had a lot of prejudices, Mr. Kingsley. It's definitely this kind of paternalistic racism, right? Yes. That it, yeah. It's the same kind of, um, racism that might, uh, characterise the evangelical Christian who, who goes off to Africa to convert all the natives, basically. Yes, there's a lot of, oh dear, these poor heathens, um, they don't know what they do, we need to convert them, sort of attitude. Yeah. Um, uh, shall I give a, a little bit of plot? Yeah, focused on the uh, poor heathen of... <laughs> the poor heathen Tom, uh, our unfortunate child chimney sweep protagonist, um who has never been taken to church or, or learnt his prayers. But, um, his master, Mr Grimes, is uh, cruel and drunk and um, sends poor Tom up chimneys. And, They're definitely uh, from the Dickensian school of uh, how to treat children. Yes. <laughs> um, they, they go to a, a large country house to sweep the chimneys and sort of Tom gets lost in all these branching stacks of the chimneys and ends up coming back down into a little girl's room um and the housekeeper sees him and believes he's stealing and in his fright he sort of scampers out the window and runs away over the hills he's pursued in this big sort of i guess slightly sort of comical farcical chase by grimes and the residents of the house um and uh he ends up getting really far away but then he falls into a stream and drowns slash becomes a water baby. Uh, what, what a punchline. <laughs> yeah. Um, and that's sort of, that's the kind of the part with the most plot. Yeah. The most straightforward plot is the beginning. And after that, he's underwater and he's a water baby. And 
the rest of the novel is this kind of digressive underwater moral adventure as he learns to he learns the difference between right and wrong and becomes an upstanding Victorian gentleman yeah um I mean, he he he's he's informed of the existence of water babies and other water babies like him, and he's in mm. the water, um, and that there's a place where they all hang out. Can you remember what it's called? Um, no. Oh, <laughs> I, was, I thought it was the shining wall, but I think that's where the um the the goddess is. Ah. It might so just I'm be like sure. the deep waters or the, yeah. the deep part of the sea. <laughs> um, and, and, and so, you know, in a sort of um, conventional, episodic road journeying narrative, you know, our, our protagonist would make their way there, overcoming obstacles. But the thing is, because Tom's underwater, he's mostly just pulled by the currents. So yeah. <laughs> he doesn't get much of a choice as to where he's going. Most of the time he's just being pulled hither and thither, sort of um, occasionally pursued by big fish who want to eat him. Yeah. Um, and um, to, in an endeavour to be fair, I wrote down some things I liked about the book. Um, and one of them was that there are some, some pretty good descriptions of uh, the underwater scenery and animals um charles kingsley apparently wrote a book about rock pools and what lives in them <laughs> <laughs> so um I, he clearly like was interested in nature and sea creatures and so there's some some quite evocative descriptions um yeah but I that think- was mm. Yeah, you get so overwhelmed by the narrative voice. Yeah. Um, and as you kind of hinted at, it's a very strange narrative voice because it's engaged in this semi-ironic um, lecturing tone uh, yeah. in which it's sort of winkingly um, oh-so-clever. But obviously, most children reading this or being read to aren't going to get that. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) They're just going to find it patronising. So it's quite odd, because if Kinsley's trying to make fun of the patronising nature of um, educators in the Victorian period, this isn't going to be very clear (laughs) to the children. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. Um, I don't think it was particularly clear to me what what he was <laughs> exactly what he was trying to do <laughs> um, but it's a very perplexing book i think for a modern <laughs> reader like yeah. i spent a lot of it just like, what 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 are you doing it's <laughs> not quite understanding no um no, I, I don't know how to quite get across just the 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 rambling oddness of it um which perhaps is pass is partly what makes it horrifying is it does maybe inadvertently manage to communicate the confusion of being a child and being subject to these seemingly arbitrary rules and systems 
imposed upon you by the adult world that mm. aren't given much in the way of explanation. Um, so charitably, I think he could be trying to communicate that experience. Mm. Um, but yeah, there, there, there's there's no differentiation, you know, for a child <laughs> listening to the Water Babies is just going to be another kind of bewildering and terrifying lecture, the likes of which they might have already <laughs> suffered at school. Yeah, um, I think this is one of our one of our key sites of horror. Um. <laughs> Yeah, how do we, do we explain? There's two there's two fairy sisters, Mrs. Be done by as you did, and Mrs. Do as you would be done by. Uh, and um, Mrs. Be done by as you did is uh, is the punishing one, <laughs> who uh, who doles out. Uh, relevant um torments to people who've been cruel to children in various ways um mm. yes so 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 tom has kind of uh joined this school of water babies um but has found to be uh, slightly less innocent and cherubic as some of the other water babies and so uh, is being given lessons um to make him a good Christian child, and at such a lesson, he also gets to witness the punishments of, as you said, various people who have mistreated children. So this is um, Mrs. Be Done by, as you did, introducing herself. And I am very ugly. I am the ugliest fairy in the world, and I shall be till people behave themselves as they ought to do. And then I shall grow as handsome as my sister, who is the loveliest fairy in the world. And her name is Mrs. Do As You Would Be Done By. So she begins where I end, and I begin where she ends. And those who will not listen to her must listen to me, as you will see. Now all of you run away, except Tom, and he may stay and see what I am going to do. It will be a very good warning him to begin with before he goes to school. Now, Tom, every Friday I come down here and call up all who have ill-used little children and serve them as they serve the children. And at that Tom was frightened and crept under a stone, which made the two crabs who lived there very angry and frightened their friend the butterfish into flapping hysterics, but he would not move for them. And first, she called up all the doctors who give little children so much physic. They were most of them old ones, for the young ones have learned better, all but a few army surgeons, who still fancy that a baby's inside is much like a Scotch grenadier's. And she set them all in a row, and very rueful they looked, for they knew what was coming. And first, she pulled all their teeth out, and then she bled them all round. And then she dosed them with chamomile, and jalap, and salts, and senna, and brimstone, and treacle, and horrible faces they made. And then she gave them a great enetic of mustard and water, and no besoms, and began all over again. And that was the way she spent the morning, 
and then she called up a whole troop of foolish ladies who pinch up their children's waists and toes, and she laced them all up in tight stays, so that they were choked and sick, and their noses grew red, and their hands and feet swelled, and then she crammed their poor feet into the most dreadfully tight boots, and made them all dance, which they did most clumsily indeed, and then she asked them how they liked it, and when they said not at all, she let them go, because they had only done it out of foolish fashion, fancying it was for their children's good, as if wasps' waists and pigs' toes could be pretty or wholesome, or of any use to anybody. And then she called up all the careless nursery maids and stuck pins into them all over, and wheeled them about in perambulators with tight straps across their stomachs and their heads and their arms hanging over the side till they were quite sick and stupid, and would have had sunstrokes, but being under the water they could only have water strokes, which I assure you are nearly as bad, as you will find if you try to sit under a mill wheel. And mind, when you hear a rumbling at the bottom of the sea, tailors will tell you that it is ground swell, but now you know better. It is the old ladies wheeling the maids about in perambulators. And by that time she was so tired she had to go to luncheon. And after luncheon she set to work again and called up all the cruel schoolmasters, whole regiments and brigades of them. And when she saw them she frowned most terribly and set to work in earnest as if the best part of the day's work was to come. More than half of them were nasty, dirty, frowsy, grubby, smelly old monks who, because they dare not hit a man of their own size, amused themselves with beating little children instead, as you may see in the picture of old Pope Gregory, good man and true though he was when he meddled with things which he did understand, teaching children to sing their far far me far with cat of nine tails under his chair. But because they never had any children of their own, they took into their heads, as some folks do still, that they were the only people in the world who knew how to manage children, and they first brought into England in the old Anglo-Saxon times the fashion of treating free boys and girls too worse than you would treat a dog or a horse. But Mrs. B. Dunby, as you did, had caught them all long ago, and given them many a taste of their own rods, and much good may it do them and she boxed their ears and thumped them over the head with rulers and pandied their hands with canes and told them that they told stories and were this and that bad sort of people and the more they were very indignant and stood upon their honour and declared they told the truth the more she declared they were not and that they were only telling lies and at last she birched them all round soundly with her great birch rod and set them each an imposition of 300,000 lines of Hebrew to learn by heart before she came back next Friday and on that they all cried and howled so, so their breaths came up through the sea like bubbles out of soda water. And that is one reason of the bubbles in the sea. There are others, but that is the one which principally concerns little boys. And by that time she was so tired that she was glad to stop. And indeed, she had done a very good day's work. So, I'm... <laughs> I appreciate the sentiment... Um, that, 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 yeah, that, that, that clearly Kinsley, um, is very much against the mistreatment and corporal punishment of children in schools and by governors and governesses. Um, but I don't know if, um, describing such a vengeful litany of abuses, which Tom has to sit and witness, is quite the right way around things. Yeah. Um, 
yeah, violent childhood revenge fantasies under the sea. Um, <laughs> under the sea. <laughs> um, There'll be no consternation, just friendly degradation under the sea. <laughs> um, yeah, um... I think it's definitely it's indisputable that Charles Kingsley was definitely uh, had a, a strong moral um, dislike of adults who were cruel to children in any way. I think, and that's that definitely comes across in the book. Um, it's not uh, in like the masters, like Mr. Grimes and school teachers and parents. Yeah, that was uh, clearly something that he uh, wanted to get across with this, and something that he clearly shares with Dickens, mm. right? In Oliver Twist, say the characterization of Squeers mm. uh, is quite similar to the characterization of Grimes here. Yeah, as you know. Uh, a bully and a sadist and someone who gets their kicks through um, abusing children, basically. Yeah. Um. Um. <laughs> but it's quite an odd thing to come across in a children's book. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um. exactly. Like, like, it's something you can sort of understand in a political pamphlet, and that's the odd thing about the book, is that sometimes it does feel like a sermon or political pamphlet and sometimes it feels like a fairy tale yeah and it moves between these different modes in quite a confusing way yeah <laughs> i mean you know i don't know it's it, it it's kind of like i mean i can't quite think of uh, of an equivalent um i, I suppose if you were, were really um, I mean, children and little animals aren't the same, but I guess if you were really opposed to animal abuse, uh, you know, you probably wouldn't go to a barnyard and then shovel the animals' horrible pictures of of, uh, <laughs> of far, far, farmers <laughs> being, being garroted and ground up. <laughs> I mean, you could. <laughs> but you'd run the risk of, of seeming uh, a little scary. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> mm. <laughs> um. Yeah, because it it sort of veers between being very, very twee and and soft and um with the with the little water babies and then just moves just sort of goes quite quickly into sort of quite uh violent punishment yeah and i mean arguably alice in wonderland and through the looking glass do the same but yeah i guess the violent figures in that tend to seem quite ludicrous mm so, yeah, the Red Queen is quite a scary figure for mm. children, but she's sort of inherently quite comic. Mm. Whereas, obviously, Mrs. Be Done By, as you did, isn't a comic figure. You know, she's a, 
a figure of of pure justice. Yeah. <laughs> um, and that's quite scary. I mean, I guess it's similar in a way to um, the figure of God you're often given as a child, right? Mm. Um, which, which again, I, I found very scary as a child. Um, so I have clear memories um, of went to a Church of England primary and singing When I Needed a Neighbour, which again is a very, it's a, it's, it's a hymn with a very well-meaning sentiment. I mean, it was written by a Quaker. Mm. <laughs> and for the, those, those who don't know, it goes, When, when I needed a neighbour, were you there? Were you there? When I needed a neighbour, were you there? And the creed and the colour and the name don't matter. Were you there? Were you there? Um, and it, it goes on to, um, I was cold, I was naked, were you there, were you there? I was cold, I was naked, were you there? And the creed and the colour and the name don't matter, were you there? Were you there? <laughs> yeah, <laughs> and, stern and, stuff. Yeah, and as a child I kind of felt like, what can I do? You know, this cold, naked person <laughs> outside I'm, I'm only i'm only five <laughs> i don't know what i could do to help them um, and it, it was very it was very very overwhelming mm. um although i think the uh the theology of the water babies is that mrs be done by as you did is only sort of one aspect of god and sort of all of these Mrs. Be Done By As You Did, Mrs. Do As You Would Be Done By, and Mother Carey, who's sort of the ancient goddess who creates creatures that Tom meets. Um, there's sort of a moment at the end where this, the figure's face sort of flits between all of these these different women, and I think they're sort of all meant to be a kind of part of God? Sure, yeah. I mean, I guess mm. you have a similar thing in the Narnia books, right, with Aslan. Yeah. That sometimes Aslan is kittenish, and sometimes Aslan is the terrifying, roaring beast. Yeah. Um, it's kind of interesting that they're all women. Um, yeah, maybe wouldn't expect that from a, a mid-Victorian book no i think that's true and that's something that's carried into the film adaptation from 1978 Mm. um which generally is very twee so it mostly kind of keeps the um cutesy aspects of the book Mm. and uh, eradicates all of the harsh um moralizing aspects okay um so so it's certainly more palatable um but it's also kind of pointless <laughs> <laughs> because as you've kind of said yourself there isn't much plot in the water babies not no. very much happens so if you take out all the satirical and all the instructional aspects you're not left with very much to be honest no um just a couple of children die um <laughs> although although um, so, I, I I understand that you you bailed out of the film. <laughs> I, yeah, I didn't I didn't make it all the way through. That, that that's okay, but it does mean that you miss Terence the Seahorse. Uh huh. Hello, 
that about Fratney, didn't it? Uh, definitely the best addition to the film, who's very much not in the book, who <laughs> is a flamboyantly camp seahorse. Oh, great. Yeah. Um, voiced by a guy called Lance Percival, um, who apparently uh, was best known for his appearances in satirical comedy shows of the early 1960s and his ability to improvise comic calypsos about current news stories. <laughs> <laughs> he, he later became successful as an after-dinner speaker. <laughs> oh, well, that's, that's, that's an, an excellent career span. Yeah, and he, he definitely gets to do a lot of comedy business. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> as Terence the Seahorse, who has a, a tiny little bow tie. Hmm. <laughs> <It's a sort laughs> of, yeah, camp vaudevillian seahorse, basically. Ah, <laughs> oh, yeah. Um, so th- th- that's definitely the best aspect Hmm. Terence's inclusion of the film. <laughs> um, I, I, yeah. So I assume the uh, the film is uh, much less preoccupied. Well, from what I saw, uh, Tom was definitely much less filthy than he's uh, um, described in the book. Um, yeah, certainly the portrait of Victorian London is very much. Uh, a kind of sanitised mm. um, sort of almost pantomime portrait I suppose mm. I mean you know J- James Mason uh, who, who plays Grimes in the film uh, is certainly villainous but there's a kind of pantomime villainy um, you know he, he's got sort of uh, black face paint under his eyes <laughs> yeah. to, to, to accentuate these bags and uh, you know he, he, he spends a lot of time booting the child actors about and kind of <laughs> cack, you know laughing to himself and such but he's just this sort of silly old sadist basically like, yeah yeah you, you can't take him terribly <laughs> seriously and and generally like it has a lot of pretty weak source humor <laughs> to be honest <laughs> like the humor's all very kind of loose and fall about and daft mm. um one difference i did find striking is that um you mentioned in the book uh tom is kind of pursued by the people of the mansion uh who believe that he's stolen silverware mm. um you know and he, he gets away and then drowns mm. uh but in the film i found it interesting that they actually have sir john um who who is a character in the book who's the um patriarch of the manor mm. um he actually sees tom drown um, yeah. in the film and and says quite ruefully jesus i've killed a child um <laughs> <laughs> like that right <laughs> yeah, well, it was a moment of real kind of pathos <laughs> Okay. Um, yeah, uh, I found that interesting because a lot of the darker aspects aren't present in the film. Mm. But, uh, yeah. So, <laughs> the way it describes them, them finding Tom's body in the uh, in the book is, is sort of we've seen him sort of swim off as a water baby, sort of. And it said um, the fairies had washed him, you see, in the swift river so thoroughly that not only his dirt but his whole husk and shell had been washed quite off him. And the pretty little real Tom was washed out of the inside of it. <laughs> 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 uh, oh, that's 
something quite disturbing about the husk there. Yeah, it's like under the skin. Yeah. Scarlett Johansson. <laughs> have you have you seen that? No. Oh, it's got so it's about this alien played by Johansson who's sort of harvesting um humans for some kind of intergalactic meat factory okay. and um um the, the 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 men in the film um are seduced and end up sort of walking into this kind of sinking black sticky void and they end up sort of suspended kind of underwater uh and you know how when you're in the bath for too long you get prune fingers mm. it's kind of like that their skin sort of becomes kind of loosened Ooh. and and then yeah and then, then then somehow their flesh is kind of slooshed out of their loosened skin ah. which does sort of, yeah <laughs> it's pretty horrid <laughs> um <laughs> yeah so john glazer version of the water babies <laughs> interesting um, um so one of my least favorite uh instructional digressions um <laughs> was the whole uh, saga of the do as you likes do you remember that not really you have to remind me um it's it's just sort of this long didactic kind of segment that's kind of uh, oh is that the especially the, or, is that the especially racist it bit? is yes the especially racist bit um yeah in which tom and Elia told about a group of people called the do-as-you-likes who leave the land of hard work to live in the land of ready-made and who are so lazy that they progressively de-involve until they become ape-like um and at the end it has this very racist dog whistle where one of them uh remembered that his ancestors had once been men and tried to say am I not a man and a brother but had forgotten how to use his tongue uh-huh. and am I not a man and a brother for people who don't know is this famous abolitionist phrase um, which was produced on a medallion by Josiah Wedgwood in the late 18th century with the image of uh, an enslaved man in manacles kneeling and that became a, a very often used abolitionist slogan so yeah that's horrible it is I looking on Kingsley's Wikipedia page I mean he's listed as a social reformer um mm. So he was particularly associated with Christian socialism, the Working Men's College, and forming labour cooperatives. Um, but yeah, that's not to say that the left don't have their own history of racism. Yeah, um, yeah, I, I sort of, yeah, um, I, I guess he definitely. Um, had some pretty major blind spots in his uh, uh, liberal outlook, <laughs> particularly around race and nationality. Um, um, but I guess, yeah, you could say that it is tied up with the theology of the book that While, say, it's a sympathetic 
vision of England's poor. Mm. Um, it's also very paternalistic, and it's this. It's very bound up with ideas around, I guess, worthiness, mm-hmm. and like. Yeah, the idea that the the poor are heathens um, because they don't know better, but uh, they need to be instructed to be better. Yes, and you kind of have kind of feeling that his interest, his concern for children, is perhaps partly because he, you know, wants to save them from their. <laughs> from their parents who are too far gone, you know, like yeah, sort of yeah. to rescue them, to become, to become good Christian men and women of the middle class. Um, I mean, I guess it, 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 it treads on similar territory, perhaps um, to some anti-sex work campaigners. Mm. Um, without going into, you know, that's, <laughs> that's a whole other, whole other <laughs> issue. Yeah. But, but yeah, so, so sometimes, um, the and obviously there was a lot of that in the Victorian period too. Mm. Um, Dickens himself was very involved in that movement, um, and that sometimes it's not really about the autonomy of the individual women. Mm. Um, yeah, it, it's much more about what's good for them without really listening to them. Yeah, um, and I think that that's you know one of the central flaws of the water babies is in some ways it's not really listening to children i don't think yeah while it's trying to criticize um adults who um talk down to children and hurt children with their assumptions about what a child is and uh, what's good for children he kind of just ends up doing the same thing to some degree yeah yeah um do you think that's fair? Yeah, I think that's fair. Um, it it never it's always it never strays far from this like moralistic core of the story, um, which I think Lewis Carroll does. Yeah, that's I mean, what I was saying. Like that's what I was thinking. Like. That's why the Alice books are so much more enjoyable because you get to be in the story and just enjoy the world and the characters rather than constantly being pulled back to this this moral that the author wants to hammer home. Yeah, absolutely. And also, I mean, <laughs> everything is problematic. <laughs> I mean, yeah, you know, obviously... There's been lots of writing about Lewis Carroll um, yeah. or Charles Dodson. Um, but for whatever reasons, he certainly seemed to understand children. Yeah. That I think when you read the Alice books as a child, um, you know, you feel like this is a book that gets your experience of the world on some level. Mm. Yeah. Um, there are a few joyous moments that make their way into the the film mm. um i mean my my fav- favorite moment perhaps um i've written as 
a small child slow motion throwing a whole suit of armour down the stairs in order to incapacitate and thus get his abusive father figure hung. <laughs> <laughs> so, so at the end, Tom kind of comes back to the mansion um, alive again and um, Grimes tries to rob it for a second time and it's a bit, you know, for me once, shame on you. For me twice, shame on me. Mm. But, but basically, yeah, uh, to capture Grimes, he throws a very big suit of armour down the stairs to trap him <laughs> and get a slow motion shot of this, which I really enjoyed. <laughs> nice. <laughs> um, yeah, if there's... If there's one thing I praise the book for, it does have some good textures, Adam. Oh, so is it time? I think it might be time. Okay. It's very genteel this time. So sort of genteel and underwatery, I think. Yeah, exactly. Um, <laughs> um, so I got quite a lot. Well, my, my, hmm. Okay, well you you go first because my texture of the week's from the film actually. Okay. So it's really best that we start with the book. Okay, so it's a quite a long one. This is a a weird list of cures from a particularly bewildering digression that I don't really know what what it was about um to be honest but um i quite like this list um i appreciate your honesty it's, <laughs> it's good that we've both been honest that this is quite a bewildering book <laughs> yeah. hopefully um, this doesn't mean that we are less clever than victorian children <laughs> <laughs> okay um Bezor stone, diamagartum, a ram's brain boiled in spice, oil of wormwood, water of Nile, capers, good wine, but there was none to be got, the water of a smith's forge, ambergris, mandrake pillow, dormouse fat, hare's ears, starvation, camphor, salts and senna, musk, opium, straight waistcoats, bullyings, bumpings. <laughs> it's, like a, it's like a list from Boris. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I just quite like that as, a, as an abstract uh, list of items. <laughs> yeah, it, make, it reminds me of uh, his list of... Um, that divides animals into 14 categories from the Celestial Emporium of Benevolent Knowledge. Uh-huh. Uh, those that belong to the Emperor, embalmed ones, those that are trained, suckling pigs, mermaids or sirens, fabulous ones, stray dogs, those that are included in this classification, those that tremble as if were mad, innumerable ones, those drawn with a very fine camel hair brush, etc., those that have just broken the flower vase, those that <laughs> at a distance resemble flies. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I'm quite a sucker for those kind of taxonomies of odd things. Um, yeah. And um, the other one, just because um, 
I quite often talk about how I feel like I'm made of string and bits of paper. Um, is describing some. <laughs> Sorry, it's terrible. It's describing some character I don't even know. Um, but uh, he was made up principally of fish bones and parchment put together with wire and Canada balsam. Like, <laughs> that's a mood, as the kids say. <laughs> <laughs> we're, we're really trying to up our listenership today. <laughs> but, but, you know, th- th- this old Victorian text may seem old and creaky, kids, but we we know the memes just as good as anyone. <laughs> Sorry, it's very warm. I think. Um... <laughs> it is very warm. I. I fell asleep this afternoon when I should have been reading Das Kapital. <laughs> um, I fell asleep meditating. Yeah. Mm. I hate it when that happens. Like, you know, like you want to relax, but you, you need to stay alert at the same time. You know, that's that's the thing. Like, either yeah. when I'm meditating, I'm, I'm you know, itching and, you know, I, I can't settle down and I... Um, or, you know, I meditate and I fall asleep. <laughs> I can never get that perfect <laughs> point that you want. Uh, I fell asleep reading this book. Uh, <laughs> um, at, at the point where it was lecturing me about the importance of hard work. Yeah. <laughs> oh, good for you. That, that, that shows him. Yeah. <laughs> um, um, so, yeah, so my texture is from the film. And there's just a really... One notable thing about the film um, is that the animation is done by a Polish studio. Mm-hmm. Um, for those listeners who don't know, my area of expertise is East Central European animation. Mm. So this was quite interesting to me. Mm. Uh, and it has this kind of sketchy quality, um, typical of Polish animation at the time. Mm. Um, and there are some really good um, graphical matches and transitions between the animated segments and the live-action segments. Mm. Uh, one of which is... Um, yeah, a kind of match cut, uh, well, dissolve between um, seaweed and um, a child's flaxen hair. Mm. So it has sort of seaweed undulating, um, animated, which then transitions to a child's hair, which nice. is really good and really well done. Yeah. Nice. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um. um, and I'll, I'll also. Uh, say, uh, just to make my introduction and probable sign-off explicable, that uh, the film is filled with uh, the refrain I Kokoro! There's a whole song about this phrase. It's kind of like the equivalent of Akuna Matata. Mm. Um, Except I've got no idea what I Kokoro means. (laughs) Okay. And I looked it up online, and the only references I could find were to this film. So, <laughs> <laughs> uh, okay, yeah. Heaven knows, but it's said a lot of times. So. <laughs> uh, um, uh, any final thoughts? Uh, my final thought is that I liked that the book mentioned Blondin, the French tightrope walker. Um, who crossed Niagara Falls carrying a man on his back. Because uh, a while back I got quite interested in Blondin and did some, some art some art about 
about him. Indeed. Can you can you can you link to that? Uh, no, long long lost. I'm afraid. Oh, as often goes with your art. Sadly. Yeah, yeah. But yeah. It fully f- found its way to the river and became a water baby. <laughs> yeah. Um. <laughs> oh yeah. Shout out to Blondin. <laughs> Where wherever he is. Wherever he is. <laughs> Probably still over Niagara Falls in spirit. cool yeah um (laughs) so you you've you've trailed your sign off yeah yeah but i i I can say it again Um, okay okay um say it like now or after the credits (laughs) i'll do do the credits um yeah build build up anticipation all right uh intro music's by maki yamazaki uh outro music's by joe kelly uh artworks by letty wilson uh, you can find us on Twitter at, at @stillscaredpod and email us at stillscaredpodcast at gmail dot com, and I'll put the details in the show notes. <laughs> uh, uh, are you going to introduce my signer? Oh, okay, Adam. Do you have a signer for us? I do. I cockalorum, creepy kids. I cockalorum, spooky kids. See you next time. Bye. <laughs> For something more recent and less arduous. <laughs> <laughs>